Uh, we're glad that as 2019 starts that you decided to be in church. Uh, we think that's really important. So glad that you chose to be here today. Also, just want to take a minute and just let you know that if you've been coming for a while, you've noticed that we've kind of doing some things a little out of order, and that's okay. Everything We're going to do everything we've always done. Uh, so just, you know, just hey, bear with us as we kind of get used to doing some things a little different. And different is kind of the theme for the day, right? So we just went through Christmas, and Christmas is this awesome time where we, you know, we get together as family and friends, and we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. But Christmas is also a time that we get to look back at the year we just had. And a lot of folks write, uh, I guess people still write Christmas letters. Uh, we tried for like a couple years, and it was an epic fail, so we just gave up on them. But we still get a lot of those every year where people will kind of recap their year because Christmas is a time that you look back at where you've been. And then we come to that moment after Christmas ends, before January 1st, and we start looking forward to where we're going. And so a lot of people, in, in light of looking forward to where they're going, they start making these things we call New, Year res, New Year's resolutions. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. You've got to have a little courage. If you have made a New Year's resolution, I want you to raise your hand. At least one. If you have not, I want you to raise your hand. If you have never, I want you to raise your hand. That's what I'm talking about. Brave few. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that today. A resolution is defined this way. It's the act of resolving or determining to take a certain course of action. In other words, a resolution is when somebody sits down and goes, you know what, I think this year I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to stop doing that. Most of the time, resolutions don't take a lot of thought. They're kind of obvious to us, right? We just kind of, well, I, this year I want to do this better. I want to do that better, right? So I want to give you, according to researcher, in no particular order, these are the top ten resolutions people make every year. All right, so here they are. Here's the, in no particular order. It's just the order that uh, the research shows. To lose weight, to get organized, to spend less and save more, and that doesn't sound fun, but, you know, I think people want to do that. Enjoy life to the fullest. Stay fit and eat healthy. They should fix that. Stay fit and find a way to eat what you want. That's the way to do it, right? Uh, that'd be, if I made a resolution, that'd be one worth making. Stay fit, eat what you want. Sounds <laughs> pretty good, right? Uh, learn something new, quit smoking, help someone with their dream, fall in love, spend more time with family. Those are, according to researchers, the top ten resolutions people make every year. And I'll bet you, if you're a resolution maker, somewhere along the way, you have incorporated one, at least one of those, and maybe more, into your year. Just kind of, it's just what we do. Now, here's the interesting. 38% of Americans are like me. They have never, ever made a resolution. 38% of Americans have never made a resolution. So for the rest of the people, this is what you need to consider. 8% of Americans will be successful in achieving their resolution. 8%. And I've already had one person who's told me this morning he's going to be one of the 8%, so I'm going I'm to check on that. 8% say they're going to fulfill their resolution. That means 92% fail. And the question is, why? Why do we say, man, I'd like to do this, I want to do this, and, and I think that's kind of the answer. I think sometimes these, these things we strive to do are just things we think will make things better. And we're kind of, but we're not really invested in them. 
The, you know, if, if the people who run gyms love January. They love January. Especially if you go to a place that has, requires you to do like a, a three-year contract. Because they just taking some of y'all's money for three years where you can sit at home and eat potato chips on your couch, right? That's just kind of how it works. I hated going to the gym in January. Parking lot was crowded. Pe- too many people in there for me. I mean, I, I didn't like it. I love February. Because February is when the dedicated people were stayed and all the rest of them were back in bed. So it was awesome for me. So we make these resolutions. So why do we fail? And I think the reason we fail goes back to what a resolution is. And there's one key word we're going to talk about. And this, this word is the word resolve. And resolve is a word we're going to talk a lot about this year. Now, to resolve is, is deeper. It's to come to a definite or earnest decision. To come to a definite or earnest decision. In other words, resolve is something that is, comes from deep inside of you. Resolve is something that it's not something, well, I think I'm going to do this. It's I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Resolve is connected to this other fancy word we talk about in church a lot called vision. And we've been talking, we talked the first few weeks I was here, we talked about vision and mission a lot. And we talked about the church has a mission and the church has a vision. And we're trying to fulfill a kingdom dream here at First Christian Church. That's, that's kind of the, the dream that, that we want to fulfill. And, and to do that, we just have to make some courageous decisions. But I think the reason most of us fail to have resolve in our life is because we don't have personal vision. It's one thing to have corporate vision. Companies have vision. Uh, school systems have vision. Uh, teams have a vision. But you want to have some personal vision too. So I want to tell you how important vision is. This is what the Bible says. Proverbs says it this way. Where there is no vision, the people perish. It's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And a lot of times people go, well, what's that mean? I mean, people are going to die if they don't have vision? So I decided we're going, to do, we're going to look at some other translations this morning. Same verse. Okay, here we go. The NIV says it this way. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Right? The New Living says it this way, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. The New Century, which is kind of what I use for my quiet time, says this, where there is no word from God, people are uncontrolled. And the message says it this way, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. In short, the reason so many of us do not resolve to do the things we set out to do is we have no vision. We have no vision direction new year's resolutions are like weeds that sway because you know what they're important i'm not going to eat any like for example i love the one i'm not going to eat any sweets at all okay until they serve you a donut or a piece of cake and you know oh, well, i don't want to offend they made this cake and i don't really want to offend them so I, I think i'll just eat the cake well yeah I'd rather eat cake than not eat cake. But if you have vision, if you have resolve, then there's something inside you goes, you know what, I appreciate it, but I just, I'm going to have to pass. So here's what we need to understand. A lot, the, the greatest thing we can do, the most important thing you can do, whether you resolute to do it or what, is to grow in our relationship with God, to become the person God calls you to be, which means we have to be really honest about ourselves. And so this is a really tough love, honest assessment of where we are, 
and, and, and kind of point in the direction where we need to be. So here's what you need to understand. I want you to imagine this. Here's you and here's God. And there's this chasm. There's a gap between who you are and who God wants you to be. There, there's this gap. Now, for a lot of folks, some folks say, well, you know what? That's, that's great, Jay. The young folks, they need to hear that. Young folks go, yeah, that's really for the older folks. We're just trying to kind of fig- figure things out. And for those of us in the middle, we're just kind of, well, I, I guess it's, it's on us, right? Well, not really. But here's the thing. We need to understand that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you know, no matter what your status is in the community, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how short you've been a Christian, if you're a Christian or if you're not, here's the truth. No one on earth has arrived at where God wants them to be. Not one person. All of us need to move from the who we are to the who God wants us to be. And for some people, it's a, journey, it's a long journey. And for some, it's not as long, but it feels long. So here's the question we're going to ask for the next three weeks. How do I bridge the gap between who I am right now and who God wants me to be? Because that's really the question. How do I bridge the gap between who I am and who God wants me to be? That's the question. Because it's one thing to say, well, yeah, there's a gap. I got it. It's a whole other thing to say, all right, so what do I need to do to begin to move from where I am to where God wants me? And so we're going to talk about one verse in the Bible in just a minute that I believe as honestly as I've ever said anything to you, can change the course of your year and your life if you embrace the four things that it tells us to do. So, we're going to take you to Luke chapter 2 in just a moment. Let me kind of catch you up first. So, when we started the Christmas season, if you were here when we started the Christmas season, we talked about the day Jesus went to the temple when he was 12 years old. Now, when Jesus went to the temple when he was 12 and got lost from his parents for four days, it was the most important Passover for him because it was the first time in his life that he could go inside the temple because you couldn't go in the temple until you were 12. So for the first time in the life of Jesus on this earth, from Bethlehem to Egypt and back to Nazareth, for the first time, he was allowed to go into the temple. For the first time, he, he was ready to get on the business of what his father sent him for. Now, if you re- here, you remember the story. If you don't, I'm going to tell you. Mary and Joseph lost him, and they couldn't find him for four days. And when they found him, they were frantic. And people always ask me all the time, why do you say that? Well, why do you say they were frantic? The Bible doesn't say that. And this is what I say. I'm a parent. So if you're a parent, ask yourself this question. What would happen if you lost your 12-year-old for four days? How would you feel when you found him? What would you say to him? What would you do to him? And so when Mary and Joseph... They're parents, and they found Jesus, and they didn't really understand who, what he was about. I mean, they understood who he was, but not, they didn't really get it. And they said, what are you doing? And he just said, well, I'm, just, I'm here doing my father's business. Here's the important thing. Before we go any further, you need to understand this about Jesus. He was absolutely, at 12 years old, superior to his parents in every way. At 12 years old, he was 100% fully God and a teenager. He was both at 12. Superior in every way. So how did he handle this situation? Verse 51 in Luke chapter 2 says this. Then he, Jesus, 
returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. So let's talk about this for just a second before we move on to the next verse, which is the, real, the verse we're going to just hunker in on today. Okay? So if you're a teenager, hear what I'm saying. Because I spent 15 years in youth ministry, and this was the thing I always got. Well, I don't really, my parents don't always, they're not always right, and why should I always do what they say? And I wrestled with this with my own kids when they were like, in college, why do we have to do either say? Is that, are we paying your bills? Yeah, well, there you go. If you want to do what you want, pay your own bills. We'll pass. There you go. Here's the deal. When your kid asks you, when you are trying to figure out, why should I do what my parents said, here's why, because Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did what his mom and dad said. Fully God, fully man, superior in every way, smarter than they would ever would be, wiser than they ever would be, he did what they said. He went home and he obeyed his parents. That's what he did. That's what I didn't do so great. That's what we're supposed to do. But the next verse is the important verse. The next verse is a verse that I think can change the course of your, of your year and your life. Luke 2, verse 52 says this. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. One verse describes 18 years of his life. You want to talk about time jumping in the Bible? That's 18 years right there. Verse 51 and 52 of Luke 2 cover 18 years of his life. Two verses, 18 years. But Jesus, when he went home and did what his parents said, he did something else. There's four things that it tells us about Jesus that I think can change the course of our life if we just embrace them. So we're going to talk about those things. As we kind of figure out how I can move from the who I am to the who God wants me to be, this is what I'm telling you. I believe if we'll embrace these four things, we can start the journey of moving to who God wants us to be. First thing, commit yourself to growing in wisdom. Now, Let's talk about what that does not mean. That is not about getting smarter. That is not about if you are in college and, and you're, a, you know, there are people that, I call them professional students, they go to school and they just stay in school, stay in school, stay in school because it's easier to stay in school and learn stuff than it is to get out and go, right, and get to work. So we're not talking about getting smarter. Growing in wisdom is about growing in your relationship with God. It's about getting to know Jesus on a personal level. It's about fulfilling your created purpose. And so this is something you will hear from me a lot uh, in, all, in our years together. We have been put on this earth to fulfill one purpose. And this is it. Your created purpose is to know God and be known by God. That's why you're here. That's why you exist. That's why I exist. 150 Psalms says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what that means. I am here to fulfill my purpose. My created purpose, God gave His life for me on the cross in the person of Jesus so I could know Him and He could know me. That's it. How do I grow in wisdom? I fulfill my created purpose. What's well, my created purpose? To know God and be known by God which leads to the next question, how do I do that? And the answer is really simple. You open up your Bible, 
or your tablet, however you read the Bible nowadays, because the world's changed. And you actually start to read what's in the Word. Now, the question I get all the time is, if, I, if I'm not, if I've never done it or I haven't done it in a while, where do I start? So if that's you, you contact me and I'll give you a suggestion of where to start. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. But this is what I'll tell you. If you're reading 0% of the Bible, 10 verses a day is better than zero. One chapter is better than none. Two chapters better than none. But, he, but see, here's the thing, and I think this is where we get a little cross-haired in this whole thing about reading the Bible. Okay, So I don't really have time to dive into it, but I'm probably about to get lost here. So just hang with me for a few minutes, all right? Your purpose is not to read through the Bible 80 times in a year. If you want to do that, that's great. I can honestly tell you I've not read through the Bible in the last five years. One time yet. I haven't made it through yet. Five years running. Not because I'm trying not to do it. It's just not that important to me. If it's important to you, do it. But here's the thing. It's not important that you just read the Bible. It's important you fulfill your creative purpose, which is to know God and be known by God. So it's not just about reading your Bible. It's about reading your Bible in a way that you begin to know who God is and what He is to you. That's what it is. So if you are a person who's really in deep in the Word, maybe you need to do something like journal. I've got a friend who uh, journals on his laptop. I can't do that. But it works for him. I just started doing something this year that I'm not going to talk to you about, but I was inspired by a, a preacher acquaintance of mine, and I said, you know what, that'll work, but I don't want to do his thing, so I kind of found my thing. I have spent the last week in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. I just finished it this morning. Because I decided in 2019, I was, instead of just reading my Bible, and I'm going to fulfill my creative purpose. And I'm going to know God and be known by God. And I'm going to study as if my life depends on it, because it does. And I'm going to pray as if my life depends on it, because it does. I started writing out my prayers in bullet form. I don't write the whole sentences out because I have ADD and there's no telling where I'll go. So I just, but there's three, there's things I pray for every day. And this helps me to do that. Because without it, I didn't always do it before. Grow in wisdom. Fulfill your creative purpose. Get to know God in a personal way. So that's one thing that we can do. And it, that, that one thing can change the trajectory of your year. Just that one thing. But there's three others. So let's talk about the second one. The second one is this. Commit yourself to growing in stature. Now, once again, let me tell you what it's not. It's not about getting taller or wider or thinner or whatever the case may be that you want to do. It's, it's not about growing up Physically, it's about growing up spiritually. It's about taking a risk with your life. It's about taking a kingdom risk in your life. Now, we started a Wednesday night church service. Uh, we've been doing it for like four weeks, I think, something like that, four or five weeks. And I'm going to tell you, I, I haven't said this uh, about this, but man, I applaud our leadership. That's a bold risk to take. 
to do something outside the box and different because you just want to reach people you're not reaching. And so we're trying to figure this out and, and, and all these things. The church, we should be taking kingdom risks as a church. But you know it's easy to go to a church that takes risk if you don't have to risk anything. If you want to move from the who you are to the who God's called you to be, you need to start taking some risk. Now, let me tell you something what we all know about risk, and that's this. Sometimes you take a risk and things don't work out. Um, George Bulldogs, 4th and 11, midfield, fake punt. I still can't open my eyes and think about it. But here's the deal. If it would have worked, it would have been all we talked about for weeks is how bold a move it was. But because it didn't work, well, the conversation has been a little different, right? Because when you do something bold and it works, everyone says, man, that's awesome. When you do something bold and it doesn't work, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. It's like coaching football. You know, here, here's the thing. If this is you, I'm going to apologize in advance, okay? The people in the stands that scream when the play didn't work, everyone knows it didn't work when it's over, right? Call the have the courage to call the play, right? That's what you have to do. So here's what I'm saying. When you take a risk, here's what I know happens. It may succeed and it may fail, but you will be stretched by taking the risk. You will grow when you take a risk, even if it doesn't work. Even if it doesn't work. And when you take a kingdom risk for the kingdom of God, when you commit yourself to that one person in your life who's drifting away from God or who doesn't know Christ, who's headed to hell, when you, when you commit yourself to that friend of yours who's, you know, they've got kids and you know they need to be in church, but they're not going to church anywhere, when you commit yourself to something risky, maybe finding a, a, a niche in the community where you can, where you can kind of serve people, maybe finding your niche here in the church if you're not serving. When you take a risk, it is not always going to work out. But you'll always grow. You're always stretched. So what kingdom risk do you need to make in 2019? Because here's what I know. If you want to move from who you are to who God called you to be, that's a, that's a risky proposition. And without risk, it cannot happen. It just, it just can't happen without risk. So, leads us to the third thing. Third thing is this. Growing, commit yourself to growing in favor with God. How do we do that? Well, there's a couple things we're going to talk about. It. And all these things, we could preach on all these things, and maybe we will at some point in time, but here's what I know. Either you live your life as if you take Jesus seriously, or you don't. Either you live your life as if you take Jesus at His word, or you don't. And when you live your life as if you take Jesus at His word, it propels you to take risk. It's, it's, it's a risky proposition when following Jesus. It's a risky pop proposition stepping out in faith, right? So you live as if you take Jesus seriously. Well, how do I do that? Well, the obvious things, you can read your Bible, you do what He says to do and all those things, that's fine. But here's the biggest thing thing that, that I believe in our culture is getting in the way. I think the biggest problem we have 
and and commit and then maybe the biggest problem you're going to have the hardest thing for you may be this as a culture we care a whole lot what people think and you cannot read facebook instagram what twitter whatever else there is out there to not know that people really really care what other people think now should you care what people think sure but sometimes we care more what people think than we do what God thinks of us. Sometimes we'd rather make people happy than make God happy. So if you want to grow in favor of God, ask yourself this question. Am I more concerned with what people think of me or am I more concerned with what God thinks of me? And if you're more concerned with what people think of you, then God's always going to be trailing behind and God is not a trailer behind her. He's out front, leading the way. When we become more concerned with what God thinks of us, the people part of it will take care of itself. It will. You want to move from the who you are to the who God's calling you to be, become much more concerned with what God thinks and less concerned with what people think. Last thing we're talking about, and that's this. Commit yourself to growing in favor with people so people do and, and so we, we, we need to do that. So how do we do that? So I want to talk to you about something my dad taught me without ever saying it. Yesterday was, my dad died 14 years ago yesterday. And, and I, was, I spent a lot of time thinking about some of these things. And I spent a lot of time in the past few weeks thinking about these things. My brother and I were talking about some of these things at dinner the other night. My dad taught me a couple of things. Really, he taught me a lot. This is what my this is what I learned from my dad. Love your family. Treat everybody you meet with dignity and respect. That's what I learned from my dad. He never said it. He never said, "All right, now look, boys, here, here's what you need to do." He just did it every day. Every day he was obviously loved his family. Every day he treated every person God put in his path. No matter who they were, no matter what color they were, no matter how much they had or how little they had, no matter what they smelled like, no matter what, he treated every person with dignity and respect. And I watched the master do that for a long time. You want to grow in favor with, with people? Treat everybody you meet with dignity and respect. God puts people in your path for a reason. Make a difference in the lives of people that cross your path. Make a kingdom difference in the lives of people that cross your path. Because God puts people in your path, and the reason He puts them there is so you can make a kingdom difference in their life. Or they can make a kingdom difference in your life. It goes both ways. That's how you go. And if you want to move from the who you are to the who God called you to be, with all this said, there was one reality we started with that we kind of had to close with as we kind of wrap our way towards the end, and that is simply this. You need to accept the reality that you are a work in progress. You are a work in progress. That's what you are. We are, we are not who God wants us to be. And we never will be who God wants us to be until we're with Him. But until you draw your last breath, you're a work in progress. And everybody who crosses your path, who drives you crazy, that you wish to just grow up, get a life, whatever you say, they are just like you. 
They are a work in progress. You want to move from the who you are to the who God's called you to be? Accept that. That I'm a work in progress. Max Lucado says it this way in his book, He Still Moves Stones. He says, he says, God loves you the way you are, but He loves you too much to keep you where you are. In other words, God loves you right now where you are. He loves you as much as He could ever love you. And so let me say it again. God can't love you more than He loves you right now. He, he just can't. God can't love you less than He does right now. Christian, not a Christian, love Him, don't love Him, doesn't matter. God can't love you more than He does right now. Just can't do it. But He loves us so much, He wants to help us move from the who we are to the who He wants us to be. That's why Jesus came into the world. So here's the question. What will you be willing to do in order to bridge the gap between the who you are right now and the who God wants you to be in 2019. Let's pray. Father, we are... Um, we have all these dreams and things we want to do. We have stuff we want to do better. Uh, we have things that we want to, to, to improve on. Sometimes we forget that it all begins and ends with you. That we are a work in progress. And your desire is not that we stay where we are, but we begin to move to where you want us to be. So I pray that you'll help us to love you fiercely, follow you fully, and devote ourselves to becoming who you called us to be. That's our prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name.